tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Larry Shively. Larry is the owner of ProVet Logic. ProVet Logic was started by Larry and his wife, Colleen, just nine years ago. They provide educational programs, product solutions, and emphasizing disease prevention and odor control. They provide support, consultation, and products to a wide range of animal care providers, including animal shelters and rescue organizations throughout the country. There's a lack of disease prevention protocols that were developed specifically for cats and kittens housed in the shelter and rescue environments, as well as a lack of disinfectants with the necessary efficacy to protect cats from serious diseases such as feline Khaleesi virus and feline panleukopenia. ProVet Logic leads the industry in providing protocols and products that help cat care providers control and reduce the spread of infectious agents. They support shelters and rescue organizations by providing discounted pricing, free equipment, and financial contributions to help offset medical costs. Larry, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Uh, Good morning. Glad to be here. This is actually a topic that we have not covered much on the podcast, talking about sanitation and cleaning protocols. Sort of a sheltery show tonight, but it's a hot topic. It's a very important topic, especially when you're dealing with a lot of cats and kittens and cat populations. Before we take a deep dive into that area, though, how did you get started, Larry? And tell me about your passion around cats. Well, it's kind of an interesting story. About 15 years ago, I actually worked for a company who manufactured cleaning products just for, you know, commercial users, uh, schools and, and what have you. We had distributors all over the country. You know, I got a call from a gal in Washington, D.C., and her company actually supplied products to clean and maintain the National Zoo. And what happened was they were having an issue with the big cats, the tigers, the lions that they weren't eating. And they couldn't figure out what it was. So I was living in Orlando, Florida at the time. I called a buddy of mine who's a veterinarian, a well-known veterinarian in Orlando. And I said, hey, you want a free trip to Washington, D.C.? And I wanted him to come with me. And we thought we'd just meet with a few people at at the zoo. Uh, When we got there, the conference room was filled and people sitting on the floor. The long and the short of it, we realized that the zoo was using so much bleach to clean around the big cats that the cats couldn't smell the food and they weren't eating. So as a result, they were losing a lot of weight. And that really started the whole process and thinking about, well, if that's happening to large big cats, it's got to be impacting small cats, house cats, cats and rescues. And so a couple years after that, I uh, had the opportunity, my wife and I, to start this business to sell products to the veterinary industry, disinfectants, deodorizers. But before we started, we spent about eight months working on our online educational programs and really researching the industry. And one of the things we found out was there were lots of different products and protocols for dogs in a shelter environment, but virtually none for cats. And so when we created our products and our protocols, it was imperative for us to create 
a product that had an equal amount of efficacy for dogs and cats for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to make sure that the cats were covered, but two, to help shelters reduce the amount of disinfectants that they were using in their shelter to deal with all kinds of diseases. A lot of products are heavy on canine parvo, but no efficacy for cats. So that, that became very important to us and also to learn more about how folks are caring for cats in a shelter or community environment. So that pretty much started out with tigers and lions, which we still work with on a regular basis, but really helped to educate us on how to care for uh, companion cats and kittens. So I was really involved with using a lot of different cleaners, and certainly bleach was always at the top of the list back in 1994 when I started in this business. And, you know, over time, cleaners have, have changed dramatically in the components of those cleaners all for the better. I certainly developed quite a sensitivity to bleach. Mm. I think it was because of the amount of exposure that I had working in a shelter environment on a regular basis and I certainly was not in that building 24-7 like the cats were. So I totally understand where you're coming from uh, and the things that you are seeing. Over time, how have the different components or the ingredients, how have they changed over time with the product? Well, what's happened is that just like computers, you know, they've gotten better over the years and ingredients have changed. When the disinfectants that were made for the animal care industry, veterinary shelter, they were more predominant towards dogs, so they had to be very strong to, in effect, kill the parvovirus. The problem with that is that strong, they had to be a high alkalinity or, uh, or more of acidic product, so although it would be effective to kill parvo, they were just too strong to use in the cattery or around cats. And so when we created our product, although it had to be strong enough to kill parvo, it had also it had to be safe enough to use around cats and kittens. The challenge we have when we work with sheltered cats or cats in a community, unlike dogs in a shelter, uh, when it's time to clean the kennel, you could take them outside and let them run around the play yard. We don't have that with cats. So we had to come up with not only a product but protocols to minimize the amount of aerosol sprays that were being used in the environment because you can have move cats to one side of the room, clean the other side, and just the spray alone can migrate over and begin to cause issues with upper respiratory. You know, one of the things I teach folks when I go out and do a lot of training is that the easiest way to tell, I can walk into a shelter cattery, and the first thing I look for is to see if there's any little tear trail marks on the kittens or some of the cats, and that's normally a, uh, an early sign of upper respiratory. There's, there are are starting to water. And in most cases, it's because uh, the chemical that they're using, either the fragrance or the active ingredient, is just is just too strong. So it took us quite a while to come up with, with a formula, working with the chemists and working with the EPA, come up with a formula that was effective against parvo, but also can handle panleukopenia and Khaleesi, but not be overly strong that it would have a negative impact on an animal's olfactory sense or upper respiratory. One of the uh, things that have become very popular in the sheltering world has been the development and the creation of kitten nurseries. So I would assume that would be your most vulnerable population being around any sort of products. Is there a different protocol for that sort of environment versus a shelter environment? Oh, definitely. I mean, what we've done is we try to take the spray bottle out of the mix. Don't spray the product anymore. So we created a refillable wiping system. So in essence, you are diluting a disinfectant into a wiping canister, and instead of you know spraying and wiping, you're just wiping everything down. It allows you to pick up the cat hair and clean the surface without having to move the cats out of the room itself. So we've come up with ways to eliminate the need for any type of spray in the cattery environment. 
especially around kittens, you're 100% right. A lot of times, folks in the shelter industry, will, when they start seeing upper respiratory, the first thought is dress, that the cats are stressed. And that may be possible, but I can tell you nine times out of ten, it's not they're stressed. It's just even though the products don't smell bad to us or don't impact our upper respiratory, the cats are so sensitive that it has almost an immediate impact on their ability to smell and their upper respiratory. So you want to, the trick of it, I guess, is just to do anything you can not to spray or aerosol disinfectant of any kind in an enclosed cattery environment. Today's episode is sponsored by Space Kitty Express, your one-stop shop for exotic cat drugs. Everyone's heard of catnip, but what about valerian root, tatarian honeysuckle, or silver vine? Space Kitty Express specializes in offering these hard-to-find catnip alternatives, both in their herbal form and stuffed into a variety of reusable toys. Their herbs are 100% pure, not like those quote-unquote catnip blends you might find in a pet store. Their tartarian honeysuckle wood is cut fresh and kept frozen to lock in its citrusy scent. Their silver vine exudes a mintiness that tingles the nostrils. Their organic valerian root is so musky that they've had to blend it with organic lemongrass so that human noses can tolerate it. Cats can definitely tell the difference between these quality herbs and that stale catnip from the big box store. Visit SpaceKittyExpress.com and watch videos from satisfied feline customers. Use coupon code COMMUNITYCATS, all one word, at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. That's SpaceKittyExpress.com with coupon code COMMUNITYCATS. Doesn't your cat deserve the best? Spoil them today at SpaceKittyExpress.com. <coughs> Provet Logic, based in Scottsboro, Alabama, provides educational support and product solutions to professional pet care providers and pet parents throughout the country. As a licensed veterinary medical continuing education provider, ProVetLogic provides a variety of educational tools designed to help cat care providers create a cleaner and safer environment for both the cats in their care and the care providers. To learn more about ProVetLogic, please visit www.ProVetLogic.com or call 800-869-4789. Before we hit the record button, we were talking a little bit about some of your experiences in working with organizations that have adoption programs in a retail base. Uh, are there any special kit or different approaches that you would have? I know that when I used to run an adoption center in a retail space, obviously space is very limited. Your isolation space especially is very limited in terms of square footage. You have to abide by certain rules by the state as well as by the retail organization. And in, in some cases, they can tell you what cleaners to use and in other cases, maybe not. But are there any lessons that you've learned when working with other organizations in a retail space to encourage a group to say, hey, let's take the leap and show our cats in that environment? At the end of the day, the most important thing is consistency in the protocol. When I talk to rescue groups, specifically cat rescues who put cats in the retail environment, the problem they have is the person who cleans in that area tonight is not going to be the same person who cleans tomorrow night. So in essence, there's a good chance they're using different products, they're using different protocols. So the most important thing that we recommend and we provide, we provide a wall laminate protocol. Stick it on the wall and the step-by-step -step procedure. So whoever walks in that door that night, whoever the volunteer is, if they follow that procedure, they have a better chance of maintaining a more odor-free and disease-free environment. So uh, the real lesson is not the products as much as 
the protocol and keeping everybody on the same page. And when I talk to these rescues, that's the thing they bring to me the most. We're having sick cats in the retail stores. We don't know why. We even buy your product. And I said, well, the problem is it's not the product. It's the protocol. You want everybody doing the same thing, regardless of they are, every time they go into that cattery. And that's, you know, that's the, I just got off the phone before we spoke to a gentleman in Texas. He's setting up an animal shelter. And I said, the most important thing, even before the products, is to put these laminates up so, because turnover is so high in animal care, you want to keep the new person that comes in or the volunteer doing the same thing as the person that was there before them. So that's the lesson. Whatever you do, put it on a wall. This is what you do when you walk in in a cattery. This is the procedure. And then we all hope and pray that we all do it the same way. <laughs> you, you, you do. But you know what's, what's, un, what's kind of unique about it, and I hear this from shelters all over the country, that for whatever reason, once they put those up, things go better. You know, one of the things we're most proud of, I have a shelter in Alabama. To, uh, it's a government shelter. And, you know, we put the program in, and I just put everything up. About two weeks later, I went back to do a, a training, and the director said it was unbelievable that before we went in there, the, the cats in the cattery were constantly having upper respiratory sick. And the two-week time from the day they started with our process, no sick cats. That's the thing that makes us get up every morning and, and do this job. Because, you know, if we can save one, if we can change the way people think and just follow a simple process, and, and it's not complicated. It's one, two, three, four, five. You know, so, so you're right. Not everybody's going to do it, but we found most people will, even if they know it's up on the wall that they, in their mind, they have to follow a process. Because people, by nature, once they see that and something goes wrong, they're going to say, it was my fault, I followed the process. So they're more apt to do it. By providing a simple visual cue, you're providing the necessary support so that then that person that's in there doing their volunteer job, they're not feeling like they're there all by themselves. That even by having just something on the wall, they have some extra support and guidance so that they don't have to see, oh, now what was I supposed to do? So you you give them a process and an order. You had talked a bit about how you have a strong focus on your website with some online educational tools. Mm -hmm. Are these things that anybody can take advantage of? Oh, absolutely. We have three online courses. They're very basic. They're relatively simple courses because they're not, although we're, we're licensed by Board of Veterinary Medicine, being the only chemical manufacturer with that honor, so to speak, we design these for the entry-level person. And so there's three courses, and all they have to do is send us an email, and then we will send them the information on how to access the courses. And if they pass the course, there's a way that they can print their name on their certificate that I passed. And this is real helpful. Thing I can always tell when new employees go into a shelter because I see a bunch of people taking the courses and they're relatively easy but you got to realize that folks that work in animal shelter they're not trained medical personnel or they're not vet techs a lot of them are, are entering the animal care industry for the first time so we keep it more redundant it's easy and there's a little quiz in the middle and then a test at the end and and it gives you a score and it prints out a nice certificate so yeah all they have to do is send us an email and we'll send them the uh, how to access the courses that sounds great I, you know a lot of things in this world we want to focus on those basic first because if we get the basics down we probably are 90 percent of the way there to success I find in this world we tend to overcomplicate things and if we just yeah. keep things as simple and clear as possible, we'll all be very successful. I agree with you 100%. And today, the veterinary industry, veterinary hospitals, I'm sure I'm heading one when we're done, as we talked about earlier, they're chaotic. Thank good. More people are actually taking their animals to vets and, and that, but they're very busy. Veterinarians are stretched. You know, there's a need for more. And so 
it gets difficult for them to provide proper training sometimes for the basic things. Now, I'm not talking about you know when they're doing a surgery or a treatment, but just for boarded animals or, as you said, the basics. So the more that we can do to help help the veterinarian provide these tools to their incoming staff, it makes it better for the animals as a whole. So that's why we always focus on entry-level education than anything else. And so it makes it easier on the veterinarian to say, here, go online to take the course, you know, look at the visual on the wall, the nice laminate, and here's a, here's a manual, go study it. You know, so we just try to make their life easier so their focus can be caring for uh, the animal. I want to make sure we allow enough time to talk about the topic of foster care. But before I move on to that topic, what sort of advice do you have for an organization that is hit by a virus outbreak, whether it's PANLUC, whether it's ringworm, whether it's a severe upper respiratory? Do you have any specific thoughts or guidance for an organization that's really at an emergency situation? It, it all depends on, of course, what the virus is. We, we go by a simple rule, whether it's dog or cat, when especially when there's an upper respiratory or things that that's airborne. The first thing you have to do is recognize it. And then the next thing you have to do is isolate. But the most important thing, and this is what we teach all the time, we'll start getting calls today from kennels all over the country, especially up north, the northeast and the midwest, when it gets cold. That's when we start having an increase in, in things like kennel cough or upper respiratory with cats. And the simple reason for that is everybody shuts their doors and windows. And so the most important thing, especially for anything that's an airborne virus, whether it's a cat or dog, you've got to have good airflow. You've got to keep that moving back and forth. So you want to recognize the problem as soon as you see a sick animal. You want to isolate that animal from the rest. Next thing you want to get Good cross ventilation. I have people bring in fans, blow the air. Then we look at based on what the illness is or what we perceive to be the illness. Then we can do a protocol with how to disinfect and clean. But the first thing is, like I said, you got to recognize and isolate it, and then we go through the process of cleaning. That's the most important, important thing, especially with upper respiratory and anything airborne. Is that you've got to ventilate. Another problem we have. This is important. I had a. This is a great story for everybody. I have a, a very big shelter, two locations out in Los Angeles, in the Los Angeles area. They have a big cattery, and they have lots of money because they have about 100 volunteers that work there a day. So I get a call from the director. The board of directors are all in a panic because there's an outbreak of panleukopenia. And all, first thing they said, we've got to switch our disinfectants, change this. And I'm talking to the director. Here's what was happening. And they didn't realize this. The volunteers, you know, the great hearts, they were going in where the sick cats were, picking them up, carrying them around, putting them back in, then going into the well cats and picking those cats up and carrying them around. Didn't realize, nor did the director, that the panleukopenia can be spread on people's clothes. And so she didn't realize this, and I said, you have to shut that area off from the well cats. So one of the things we always teach, whether it's a shelter or a hospital, I don't care what, a zoo, humans are the main transmitter of diseases to animals. So we have to think about these things, that any disease that is airborne, like I said, ventilate, anything that can be spread from a surface, we've got to watch what goes on our clothes, our shoes, because it can be easily transmitted to a well animal. And so that's the lesson to learn. If you recognize that someone says, we have panleukopenia in our facility, you know, you have to take an isolation protocol. You can't move it from around the building. And that happens a lot, trust me. 
when it's ringworm, um, I know right away that they're not cleaning. Even stainless steel, they think, well, our tables are stainless steel. Stainless steel for a scratch can hold ringworm. So everything has a process that people have to follow. Our hope is, and we get these all the time through our website and phone calls, to help people develop a process once they, we can recognize what the, what the illness is. Yeah, and you make a good point there too, which is when something does come up or at any time, we have to always look and see what is our system doing and how is it impacting others. We, we don't operate in a bubble. As you say, you know, volunteer innocently goes in and wants to take care of the sick cats and then goes up, goes to the next room with the well cats and doesn't think about the fact that they're transporting disease with them, even just walking through the room to get out of the building or something like that. Say the sick room is in the back of the building and then they go, oh, well, just on my way out after I've given all the medications to the kitties in the back, just on my way out, I'll had a couple of kitties, but I won't really touch them or hug them or <laughs> hold them or whatever. But I'll, you know, I'll walk in with my shoes and that I had on in the room and just walk on through and just wave to my favorites and then, you know, go out the door. And even that simple action could cause a transfer of disease. Right. Really, if you're in the sick room, you should go out the back door. Before you walk into your own house, you should take off all your clothes in the garage and whatever and then go right into the shower so that you're not bringing anything home to your own cat, which will lead me directly into the questions and concerns that you get for foster home organizations. Well, the, the biggest thing is, is that it's just a lack of knowledge. What do I do? One of the things, same protocols, it's the same protocol in a retail store at home, so what the shelters will do is they'll call us and we'll give them the printed protocols they'll use at home. Same thing. They want to have something to hand to that foster, so this is what you clean at home. I want to point out a couple of really key things from a disease prevention standpoint. The, one of the, the worst, I guess the main vehicle for disease are cat carriers or pet carriers. They've got to be disinfected. When you pick up an animal or take a cat, from a shelter or from the vet hospital and bring it home, disinfect it uh, before you put the cat back in or the animal back in. Number two, we use the word touch point. So when you're cleaning a cat cage or a cat carrier, don't just clean the area or disinfect that the cat's touch. Clean the areas that you touch. Handles, uh, anything that you touch, you've got to disinfect. And the last thing we tell people is, in a foster environment, a shelter environment, it's going to sound kind of uh, funny. Have two pairs of shoes. One you wear to the building, one you wear in the building. Shoes are the number one transport of disease in, in the animal care world. So we, we go out and people when they have lockers, you'll see them come in. They'll come into a back area, change their shoes. It's a simple simple as that and also and we talk about this wear gloves you know and people say well it's a chemical it has nothing to do with chemicals wear your gloves sanitize your hands it's no different than a human hospital that's how we have to start thinking because if you go to a human hospital when they clean after a patient they clean every touch point that the nurses touched not necessarily the patient so that's something we're really uh, stressing to make sure you disinfect the touch points I don't care if it's a shelter a retail store, or in a foster home. Everywhere you touch and the cat touches, disinfect. I would also 
and this is coming from me who I'm not really the greatest cleaner in the world, I will admit that, and cat carriers are like the thing that I hated having to clean at the shelter. I will also admit it's not my best skill. There were people who I saw who would unscrew the carriers and really do a good inside and out and, you know, get the doors because there's so many nooks and crannies when you're talking about a carrier and the underneath part of the carrier too. So it sounds like, obviously, the better you can do on that carrier clean, we should all do it. We should do it as well as we can. What about the cloth carriers? Some organizations still use those. What about the soft carriers? You know, I I know they do, but I try to tell people to avoid them. Here, Here's the problem. We get this call a lot that someone has brought home either a sick puppy or cat, and unfortunately they lost it. They could have Parvo or Panluke or something of that nature, and then they want to, oh, my Lord, how do I dis- disinfect my carpet, my sofa? Disinfectants have virtually no impact on a porous surface or a fabric. It'll have minimal impact. So that's why I tell people to avoid fabric-type carriers, um, especially when you're dealing with sick and for a well cat, that's fine. But even taking them to and from the vet, it's not something you want to leave there in the back with the rest of the carriers because, unfortunately, fabric or wick you know, or a sponge, they will absorb any moist, anything that's moisture. Bacteria, viruses travel in moisture. They need a host. So anytime something touches another thing and it's wet, and especially if it's a fabric, it can absorb it and it's very difficult to remove. So I tell people to avoid them at all costs if possible. And what our shelters will do, and, and if they have the ability, we have a uh, our disinfectant, we actually have this foam gun. So you put the product in, they'll take the uh, cages outside or carriers, and you can foam the heck out of them inside, outside, wait a couple minutes, and then rinse them all off, they're done. <laughs> you don't have to take it all apart. So we try to give these tools to people who can do this if they're having to deal with multiple carriers, multiple cages. We give them tools to, to reduce the time it takes to disinfect and clean those surfaces because labor is a tough one in animal care, and having enough of it is a, is a big problem. So we try to find ways to make things move a little bit quicker, less labor-intensive, I guess the word is. You can only imagine how many of those little screws that I like found Ugh. on the floor somewhere, and I'm like, oh, where did this go now? <laughs> yeah, you can. I tell you what, if you had to, you can go and take like our disinfectant or a product or any type. You could put in like one of those garden sprayers from Home Depot and mix up your solution, spray the heck out of it, all inside it out, and take it outside. This is what we do. <laughs> I'm telling from experience because we have four cats at home, one here, and we take care of other cats. So before we we let the cat out, we don't even bring the uh, carrier inside. We spray it down and then get the garden hose and hose the heck out of it inside and out. And the best thing to do is just let it outside to air dry. Don't hand dry it. Just let it air dry, especially if you use a disinfectant. And that's the best way to do it. Great advice. So we were also talking about, Larry, you have a lot of passion around cats. Your company is a sponsor of the online cat conference this year. Thank you very much for doing that. appreciate it. And you really feel that... Cats, even though you provide products for a whole range of different animals, you feel like cats have not had access to the resources that dogs or other animals might have had access to. What have you seen over the last 10 years, and, and why do you feel that way? You know, I think there's a couple of reasons. It may be, and I think it's getting better. You probably have seen this. 10 years ago, people said, I'm a dog person or a cat person, or but there were more dog people than cat people. And you'd be surprised how many people, even in, like, wow, well, you know, five, six years, 10 years ago, you know, came right out and said, I don't like cats. That's kind of changing. So that mentality of in a shelter-type world or a company that's selling products, 
dogs are bigger. They'll use more product. And cats didn't seem to have the importance. I think part of it is, especially in the shelter environment, you deal with some, so many feral cats and stray cats. Ten years ago, it was a different thing. And it was kind of like cats are just more, uh, from a shelter standpoint, I always have to deal with them. But I think it's changing through folks like yourself and just social media and where my daughter in Atlanta is a practice manager, I won't say who the baseball player is, but he's a big-time star, one of the best in baseball. He brings his cat there. He loves his cats. The important thing is is that more of these folks that are entertainment people, athletes, and you talk big six-foot-five guys carrying in their little Persian cat, you know. So <laughs> I, think it, I think what's happening is, is that people realize, and, and i, I got to tell you, I think cats are also – becoming more important to people because you and I both know cats are a lot easier to care for than a dog, especially if you, you know, today's world where people are working 15 hours a day and they're running crazy, and especially in cities, it's just, if you want to have a pet, it's a cat. And so I, I just see it changing 10 years, nine years ago when I started this business, and I would go to shelters, and everybody, let's go see the dogs. It was, don't even see the cats. When I go to a shelter and the people who work with me, the first place we go is to see the cats because cats can tell you so much about what's going on in the whole shelter, not just in the cattery. And so that's why everybody comes in for tries. Is that a veterinarian here, <laughs> believe it or not, a couple of days ago who wants to come work for us? And, and these things I was telling him, he, even as a veterinarian, he never thought of. So I, I just think the perception of cats is now changing. And I think that's what's making the world a better place, to be honest with you. Um, on the, That's the good side. On the downside is, as we talked about earlier, I go to shelters where cats are now outnumbering dogs three to one. And finding them homes are very difficult. So we still have more work to do, that's for sure. A lot of work to do. And, and it, I, I just think it's just education and letting you know letting people know in, in these some shelters, some cities, that are doing catch and release, spay and neuter. That, that is so important. And we're having issues with that where we live because we don't have really a spay and neuter program per se. We live in a very small town and there's no catch and release program unless I do it, my wife. So, and we have, because we're we a lot of farms, we have a lot of feral cats and trying to catch them and, and take them for a spay and neuter is, is, is not the easiest thing in the world, you know, the, to have to handle feral cats, but we're trying to find a way to try to get the males and, and, and get them neutered one of the things I found, if you have a, a dominant male in your area, and of course you say, hey, that's, that's Poppy, you know, he's <laughs> if you get him and you can neuter him and put him back out, he's going to keep other males away. And it's kind of a, a unique dynamic. But catching them, you know, is, is, is not always easy. And then, you, of course, you're going to have to take him to have a spare neuter. So, so I just think just the word getting out with what you guys are doing and all the social media, uh, I think people have to continue to listen and help. That, that's, I guess, the main word, just help anytime, any way you can. And as you say, anyway, it's just handling a couple of cats in your own backyard. Yep. People feel like they can easily be overwhelmed. You know, help where you can, do what you can, don't feel like you have to do a lot, therefore you'll do nothing. Just do something and it'll make the world a better place for cats. It will, and, and I... We're having some new videos every week on, on on our Facebook page, and people ask different things we've learned, just two to five-minute videos about different things. And one of the videos I shot was to talk about, you know, supporting shelters. And most importantly, people, a lot of people don't realize this, is support your government shelter. What I mean by that is your local animal control. There's a reason for that because a government shelter isn't allowed to solicit for funds. It's against the law. And if and a lot of shelters in rural towns, like where we live, they are given... $5,000 a year, 5000 
to care for the animals. That's medical costs, food, and they could have 3,000 animals come in their door. How are they going to do that? And so what we, what we tell people to do is either just go there and bring food. Cat litter is a big issue, especially with our shelter. Bring cat litter. But more importantly, find out most of these rural shelters do not have a veterinarian on staff. They can't afford it. So they use a local vet. Find out who that is. Go to that veterinarian and say, listen, I want to put $10 on our shelter's account. I want to put $5. Put something. And that goes a long way to help in the medical care because if they don't have that money to care for these animals, you and I both know what's going to happen. And so um, because you, they can't have great fundraisers, you know, if you're the Humane Society, the ASPCA, the SPCA, yeah, you can because they're charitable organizations, but government shelters aren't. And so they, re- they have to rely on our help, especially in the care for cats. We just have to go and do it. They can't ask for it. So just I, I always, I, you know, I'd like to get that out to everybody. If you have a shelter in your, mar- in your area, just find out what they need. And, and help out any way you can. Excellent idea. That's great. Excellent, Larry. So folks are interested in finding out more about the work that you're doing. How would they find you? Well, you can visit us at uh, our website is uh, provetlogic.com. On that site, of course, we, we have product, but we have a lot of educational tools in the few weeks to come. Check our Facebook page. We have a lot of things on our Facebook page, and soon we're going to have videos, me, <laughs> just talk about all kinds of things, whether it's caring for cats or just basic disease prevention, even down to how to clean your carpet. You know, So we're doing just the basic maintenance stuff that becomes a headache for pet owners. And so, so yes, definitely keep up with our Facebook page, Provet Logic, and, and see what you can gather from there from our different training videos and ask us questions. You can also go to uh, education support at provetlogic.com if you have any questions. It doesn't matter if you're a, a pet parent or you're a professional care provider. We have great resources. A lot of people work with us. We'll find an answer for you, and you'll get an answer quickly from us. We don't let you hang for a couple of days. People are shocked on Sundays I'm answering it or somebody's answering questions because a lot of times they need to answer now, not three days from now. So, so yeah, if you want to have any questions or need any help, just go to education support at provetlogic.com, and we'll answer your questions. That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your access to our listeners. a great resource, and I'm sure many of our listeners will, will be doing that because – I know I get emails about this kind of stuff, and you already get a lot of emails. The more we can help and support one another, the better off we, we all will be. Any last thoughts, anything else you want to share with our listeners today, Larry? No, I just I always tell folks to, whenever cleaning around cats, be very, very careful, no matter what product you use. Especially, one thing folks may not realize, that cats, dogs too, but especially cats and kittens, are more susceptible to a toxic reaction of chemical going through their pads or their feet than ingesting it. And so whenever you're cleaning whatever product, even from the store, make sure your floors are dry before you allow your cats to, to walk on the floors. I've heard horror stories. Um, some basic things you can buy at the store that you think are safe have actually caused some cats to die. They just have, just like us, people, uh, cats and dogs, they're like us in the sense that they, they can be allergic to different things, but people ask me all the time when they use our products, when is it safe to put the cat or dog back into the, the kennel or the cage? I tell them you, you can't be any standing puddles, heavy moisture, get it as dry as humanly possible because you got to worry about the chemicals absorbing into the pads of their feet. And it's true with you know house cats, and it's also true with tigers. Believe it or not, they suffer mm-hmm. as big as they are, they suffer from the same illnesses and same reaction to toxicity as house cats do. 
That's great information. I know the filter that I ran were a cageless environment, so they actually, you're mopping the floors while the cats are still in the room. So it makes it a super challenging situation. And I am thinking back to the various cleaners back Back in the back in the nineties when I can I guess claim ignorance or people would donate cleaning supplies to us and we would utilize pretty much any type of floor cleaner that was given to us and I now regret that decision. You know, one of the challenges we have is that you know, there are some companies will tell people that their products are effective against certain diseases and it's not always true. I tell people to make sure it's not necessarily going to be on the label. You want that person to give you their their efficacy data. The only agency that can approve any of the kill claims, any of the testing is the federal government, the EPA. So if someone says, yeah, this product kills panleukopenia, and there's not a lot that do, actually, make them give you a reference sheet, you know, a technical bulletin saying that. And, and they have to provide it to you in writing because this is a challenge we have. I'll have people with an outbreak of some particular virus or disease, and I'll ask them, what product are you using? They said, we're using product X. I said, well, you know that product has not been tested or approved effective against that particular virus. And they said, well, yeah, it's on the label. And they look, it's not on the label, nor do they have any technical data backed up by the federal government. Uh, so it's you've got to think of it. You would never get that disinfectant in a human hospital if it didn't have documented efficacy. So treat it the same way. You know, you look at some of the wipes, some of the, whether they're Clorox or whatever, good products, Many of them aren't effective against a lot of these diseases. So, and I know Clorox has some new products coming out. And just read not only the label, but ask for the documented efficacy so to make sure that those products meet those standards. That's a great idea. Larry, I want to thank you so much for spending time with me and our listeners today and agreeing to be a guest on the show. And also thank you so much for your support of the online cat conference as well as the Community Cats podcast. Truly, it's been a great conversation. It's one that I can't believe after 282 (laughs) shows, I really haven't covered this topic. So it's very refreshing and it's a great way to kick off the the new year with cleanliness in mind and sanitation. So Larry, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you so much. We appreciate you guys because any, any any type of media, anything we can do to get the word out, better care of cats and kittens is a blessing to us all, and, and we thank you for all you guys do as well. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 